I know it's tough to get out of bed on a day like today when it's this snowy. It can be a bit difficult, a little hard to get yourself out of bed. I'm so glad that you're here, thankful for the opportunity to speak to you this morning. Do you consider yourself to be young? It's kind of a relative term, really, isn't it? People say age is just a number. You're only as old as you feel. Well, if you're like me, some days you feel pretty young, feel good, energetic, full of life, spry even. But there are other days when you wake up, you don't feel so good. You don't know where you're at. (laughs) Everything hurts. You can't remember much and you say, I'm old, I'm very old. I may be dead already, I don't know. (laughs) You know, I've learned over the years that we're not really sure what is young or what is old. Sometimes it's a relative idea. And it happens in the strangest of places, not in always the ways that you might figure. Take your refrigerator, for example. You open it up, you go into that deli drawer, and you pull out that lunch meat that's expired for about three weeks. Somebody you know, somebody in your family is gonna look at that and go, oh my goodness, look at this. Look at how far past this is. Oh, this is terrible. This is dangerous even. This is irresponsible. This is old. Somebody else is gonna take that same lunch meat and stare that last person in the eye. They're gonna take it, right? They're gonna take that moldy bread and cut the edges off. They're gonna reach to the back of the refrigerator and get that mature mayo from 2020. (laughs) They're gonna put it on there. They're just gonna take a, a, a bite and just dance with a dietary devil like it's nothing. So we don't all agree on what is old. But to be fair, we are keeping some things too long. If it was dated during uh, George W.'s administration, maybe it's time to throw it out. It's no longer ranch, it's blue cheese, and it wasn't supposed to be that way. And no matter your political persuasion, that's the most bipartisan thing we can do this morning to reach across the aisle into the refrigerator and toss that thing in the trash. If you're like me, The deciding factor for my fleeting youth is most evident when I go to an amusement park and I take my kids there. I take Wonderland, our our local park, for instance. I absolutely loved it growing up, still a fun place. But now when I go back with my kids, I enjoy watching them ride rides and I do still like to ride a few, but there are some that present a real challenge and maybe not the ones that you would expect. You know, the ski lift that goes along the whole area of the park that's up so high. When you're, you're young, you're up, and you're thinking, we're so high, and I can see so far, and you're hopped up on cotton candy and funnel cakes. You're just having a great time. But when you get a little older, you come up on that thing, you start checking the safety bar, and you go, I don't, I don't know. 
got a little play in it. You look up and go, is that all that's holding us up? Are we swaying? We're swaying. Do they inspect these bolts? And what about getting off of that ski lift? That thing's moving. And when you're young, you're in such a hurry to get to the next ride, you don't mind. You just, you just go on to the next thing. You're excited. But when you're older, when you're older, you better be power walking with purpose when that thing comes. Because <laughs> I'm telling you, it's coming for you. It's mowed down many a meemaw. <laughs> Maybe you remember the ride, the Himalaya. Uh, you go to the, the back of the park and you can hear the music from the Himalaya playing from so far away. And it's an interesting thing because if for some reason there's a DJ there who is also the ride operator who randomly yells things. And there's several key components to a ride on the Himalaya. It's always playing some sort of rock song, usually from the 80s, still playing those songs it's played very loud randomly. The person controlling the ride will just blast this incredibly loud horn for no reason without warning. And when you're young, you're like, yes. And when you're older, you're like, please stop. It's so loud. It's, it's jarring. And then gradually the ride grows in speed and inevitably you start to slide down the seat towards the edge. And they always put the, the oldest, the biggest person there. And when you're young, you're thinking, I'm having so much fun. Look at us all piled up here. This is great. But when you're older, everybody starts piling into you and you're thinking, I don't know if my hip can take another incident. <laughs> All we can do now is hold on and pray and hope the Lord hears us over Bon Jovi. <laughs> Eventually in the ride, the, the guy yells out, do you want to go faster? Everyone under 30, yes, we want to go faster. And I think we're going fast enough, <laughs> unreasonably fast even. I'm not sure this ride was ever made to go this fast. And in fact, I'm not sure it was meant to be here this long. It has tires on it. It's like a carnival came and just stayed for 50, 60 years. By the end, sometimes they say, do you want to go backwards? And everyone, everyone yells, yes, everyone but me. And I propose that we gradually come to a safe stop. And I think it's safe to say, I'm getting old. I'm getting older. Do you know that scripture speaks about all different seasons of life? Younger, older, everywhere in between. And the apostle Paul, he wrote to a younger man, Timothy. He said, he's my true son in the faith. And he had joined Paul during one of his later missionary journeys when he was very young. He was a, a teenager. At oldest, he was in his, his young 20s. His, he was a young man in his early 20s at the latest. But even at such an early age, he was known to be a faithful man. 
And Timothy would eventually become a pastor in Ephesus. And when Paul writes this to him, he's likely well into his 30s, but Paul still considers him to be young. And he writes these timeless words to him. 1 Timothy 4.12. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity, show yourself to be an example of those who believe. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, I'm a bit older than this. This isn't for me. My joints can predict the weather. This message is for the younger folks. And it is for the youth, but be assured it's for you as well. Scripture is clear that all believers are to present and pass on a pattern for others to follow. Listen to Psalm 71, 18. Even when I'm old and gray, do not forsake me, my God. Till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who come. Paul would set an example for others. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, he said, be imitators of me as I follow Christ. Philippians 3, 17, brethren, join me in following my uh, example. And in the midst of instruction concerning false teachers and occurrences that can drain the vibrancy of Christ's church. The young pastor Timothy is encouraged despite his age to set an example by his life. And we too have a responsibility as believers to set a good example with our lives. It's a great honor to be an ambassador of Christ. And this morning, I want you to honestly consider in your own life and in your own heart, am I setting a Christ-like example for others to follow? Is my life setting a Christ-like example for others to follow? Let's look at that great verse again. Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Show yourself an example of those who believe. Timothy was to show his capability and his leadership by his lifestyle. I love what one author said in reference to this passage. Your despisers can count your years, but they cannot discount your maturity. Every church needs a grown-up in the room always. You be the grown-up. It has nothing to do with age. It has everything to do with character. Timothy, be an example. You set the pace. And God's word speaks to us in the same way this morning, no matter your age. First, he says, in speech, the way that you talk, Timothy, you be the pattern of the way that you should talk in your teaching and including all types of talking. How tragic would it have been if he undermined his instructions with his day-to-day conversation? He was to be an example even when people opposed him and they disagreed with him and they went against him. Later, Paul writes to Timothy and gives more instruction about this saying, be kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth that they may escape from the snare of the devil, 2 Timothy chapter two. For Timothy and for all believers, what you say, even when opposed matters. There's a story you may have heard of a young couple who were very much in love and they were getting married 
However, the future wife was very nervous about this big occasion. And so the pastor chose a verse that he thought would be helpful, that would put her at ease. And the verse was 1 John 4, 18 that says, There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. In a rather unwise move, the pastor asked the best man to read it out and say that the pastor had felt this would be an encouraging verse for this wife and that he'd be preaching on it later in the service. However, the best man was not a believer and wasn't a churchgoer. And so he didn't know the difference between John's gospel and the first letter of John. So he introduced his reading by saying that the pastor felt this was a good verse for the new wife, but he read John 4, 18 instead, which says, you have had five husbands, (laughs) and the one you have now is not your husband. (laughs) What we say is significant. It can calm or bring chaos. It can build up or break down, hurt or heal. Our speech should always be honest and laced with love, speaking the truth in love as Ephesians 4.15 says that. And we've all seen the one who claims that Christ is Lord and yet engages in profane profane speech or speaks to a server like a second-class citizen, the one in God's family who gossips and slanders a brother or sister in Christ. And if we're honest... We've heard the words exit from our own mouths and we, we were appalled, desperately wishing we could take them back, but we can't. Oh, to be sure that our talk can taint our testimony. We must be quick to apologize for our wrongs, to seek forgiveness and repent when we set a poor example in speech. It is too important to let go. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no unwholesome speech proceed from out of your mouth, but only such a word as it is good for edification according to the need of the moment so it will give grace to those who hear. Paul told Timothy, Set an example in the way you talk. And God's word this morning tells you and I as believers, set an example in your speech. Be an example in the way that you talk. He then says, conduct. And now it's less about the way you talk and more about the way that you walk through life. The idea here is that our lives are to be controlled by God and his word. We must not be like those Paul described in Titus. They profess that they know God, but in their works they deny him. Rather, Timothy was to profess God and confirm his belief with his conduct. See, believers are to be marked with holiness, 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16 says, Do not be controlled by the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. We can claim Christ and continue to nourish and indulge the cravings of the flesh, selfishness, greed, anger, bitterness, and lust. The correct response, however, is not to foster our flesh, but to seek to put to death our remaining sins, Romans 8, 13, to conform all our conduct to the conduct of Christ, Romans 8, 29. I read years ago of a Dairy Queen employee. He was working one day and a blind man was waiting to get his food and he dropped his money, dropped a $20 bill. Well, a lady behind him noticed this without saying anything, picked it up and put it in her own pocket. This young man, his name was Joel, goes and confronts the woman and says, hey, you you need to give that money back. Well, she got argumentative, even aggressive. And so he just takes out his own wallet, 
takes $20, gives it to the blind man, which he gladly accepts, and he goes back to work. But what Joel didn't know is that people were watching this and that they would tell his employer that he was this kind of person. And then it got posted on social media and went viral. And eventually it became so popular that a big billionaire investor named Warren Buffett finds out that this company that he invests in, Dairy Queen, has this kind of employee. He invites him to an investor's meeting to show that this is so important and it's a part of the fabric of the company they want to build. It's often those simple things that inspire others. Those little things that seem to not matter. When we have conduct becoming of Christ, people take notice and evidence of an altered life is hard to ignore, both among God's people and the lost world. 1 Peter 2.12 says, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles so that in good things, so in the good thing in which they slander you as evildoers, you may be because of your good deeds as they observe them to glorify God. Set an example in your speech, in your conduct. And then he says, in love. And it's that distinctive love that is Christian, that doesn't come to mankind naturally. The love that seeks to give rather than receive, which puts the interest of others before our own, and which shows kindness to people, even those who make life difficult. A love that is particularly patient and kind, sacrificial in nature. Another scholar beautifully wrote, in love because the tender selflessness of love feels like the presence of the risen Christ. While most high school athletes have their family cheering for them on the sidelines, Susan Bergman's brother Jeffrey is there every step of the way during her cross-country races. For every practice and meet, Susan runs while pushing Jeffrey in his wheelchair. When he he was 22 months old, Jeffrey went into sudden cardiac arrest that led to severe brain damage. It was important for Susan that she find a way to get her brother involved at school in an activity cross-country seemed to make sense. When she initially pitched the idea of running with her brother, both her parents, distance runners themselves, and her cross-country coach, they had some early concerns. This is really unprecedented, they said, in Wisconsin. I was worried. We were all worried, her coach said. The Wisconsin Interscholastic Athletic Association, which regulates the state's high school sports, agreed that Susan and Jeffrey could run together but not compete in an official capacity. So the siblings' race times are neither logged or counted like other runners. Although Susan and supporters are trying to change that, when it gets hard running with Jeffrey uphill or even in uneven terrain... Susan said she will push away the pain. She'll focus on how much he loves this, how much he enjoys this. He loves running, Susan says. I think it even helps me get closer to my brother. And a sibling bond is stronger than any bond you can have, she says. Selfless love is uncommon. And it it can accomplish uncommon things. 
Even when the terrain is tough or recognition isn't realized, the power of selfless love can't be denied. When we love a brother and sister in Christ in the way that Christ loved us, it paints a picture of a heavenly love portrayed here on earth. When we love, we bless our spiritual family and we set an example a lost world can't ignore. Augustine said, what does love look like? It has the hands to help people. It has the feet to hasten to the poor and needy. It has the eyes to see misery and want. It has the ears to hear the sighs and sorrows of men. That is what love looks like. Timothy, be an example in your speech, your conduct and love. And then he says, faith. Not faith in belief, but your faithfulness. Your commitment. 1 Corinthians 4, 2 says, it is required in stewards that they be found faithful. Timothy, you're gonna need some tenacity, not timidness. You need to walk on and not walk out. And we live in a culture that can be quick to quit. During the COVID uh, shutdown, uh, many of us worked more online. And during that time, I began to uh, interact with different family members online. And my grandma used to, to post these videos of one of her friends. And at first, it, it looked like a, a bit or something. Uh, she was uh, a white-haired, sweet lady, and she would get on a karaoke machine, and she would, she would sing. And she would always have these embroidered uh, vests on or sweaters and things like that. And she would go and she would sing. And each day she would sing over and over and over and day after day. And she was just trying to encourage people. I saw those posts day after day and I started to look for them. It was such a small, seeming insignificant thing, but it was working. It was encouraging people. It wasn't always the music for me. It was the great hymns of faith one day and the great Johnny Cash the next, but I admired her tenacity. And the older I get, the more I admire, not the bright flash in the pan, but the slow simmer of a faithful life. Then he says, Timothy, speech, conduct, love and faith, be an example in them all. And then he says, purity. Ephesus was a center for sexual impurity. Timothy certainly would be tempted, but it wasn't God's plan that he would fall into sexual immorality. Purity starts on the inside with our heart and our mind with a, a resolve to fill them with the truth of God's word and yield them to the spirit over our fleshly desires. The consequences of sexual sin are especially costly, even unique. 1 Corinthians 6.18 says, flee sexual immorality for every sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against their own body. Don't buy the lie that the enemy, don't buy the lie from the enemy that there's a better way apart from God's way. But listen to me, there's a, another lie from the enemy concerning purity that your sexual sin can't be forgiven, that your past or whatever you may be entrenched now, whatever it is, it's too powerful, too unforgivable, too shameful for God to redeem, that you're too far and he's done with you. And that's not the truth of scripture at all. But rather God is working in us continually redeeming and regenerative and renewing in our lives. And 1 John 1, 9 tells us that he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And you need to know Whatever it is, he's not finished with you. 
Timothy, be an example in your speech, your conduct, love, faith, and purity. God calls us today to be an example in those places as well. We've had the ultimate example of Jesus put before us, an example in speech because he was the word. In conduct, he lived a sinless life. In love, greater love has no one than this than a man that lays his life down for his friends. Faithful, his name is faithful and true. Purity, he is the spotless lamb that takes away the sins of the world. If you're looking for an example to follow, fix your eyes on Jesus. But it can be difficult as we follow Jesus. It can seem daunting. In the popular series, The Chosen, it features an actor named Jonathan Rumi, and he has the hard task of playing Jesus. In a New York Times interview, he said, very often I don't feel worthy of playing Jesus. I struggle with that a lot, but I acknowledge that he's changed my life and In season one, it was the the first time in the series I was actually preaching directly the scripture of Jesus. I was standing at a doorway looking at a crowd of about 50 extras dressed as people coming to hear the teacher. So then this overwhelming anxiety swept over me. I had to tell Dallas Jenkins, the creator of our show, hey man, can can we stop for a minute? He said, why? He said, because I don't feel worthy to be saying these words right now. He pulled me aside and said, listen, man, none of us are worthy to be here doing this, but God has chosen you and me and everyone else here to tell this story at this time. Know that you're meant to be here. And you know what? God has chosen you and me Everyone here under the sound of my voice to tell his story at this time. With our words and with our lives. You and I are setting an example. What kind of example are you setting today? Let's pray. God, we thank you for the truth of your word. God, we thank you for the example that your son gives us. Lord, it can seem overwhelming. God, to be an ambassador for you, to set an example like you set, to live the way that you live, to speak the words that you spoke. And yet, Lord, we recognize that's the calling that you've given us. That's what we're supposed to be doing, how we're supposed to be living. God, would would you help us as we seek to do that? Would you empower us by your word, through your spirit, as we seek to be an example of you? It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.